Two and a Half Admins, episode 159. I'm Joe. I'm Jim. And I'm Alan. And here we are again. Windows 11 has made the clean Windows install an oxymoron. You know, it, it kind of has been for a while, even as far back as, as the earlier versions of Windows 10. Honestly, even going all the way back to like Windows XP, I remember games getting bundled in. I actually quit a job once because I got blamed for uh, Windows XP having games bundled in and those games existing on people's computers when nobody had asked me to strip all those out of the installations. But it's gotten a lot worse. Even with Windows 10, the you get the Microsoft Store stuff. When you do a quote, clean, unquote, installation, you still have to, you know, make it through rounds of Windows notifications and, you know, begs for this and that and the other and, oh, please use our browser and fighting you if you want to install a different browser and, you know, all this nonsense. But uh, I will I will say there are some really nice new features in Windows 11, mostly the ones that make you have to use Windows less, like <laughs> Windows subsystem for Linux improvements. But this article is not kidding. Uh, Microsoft really is continuing to ramp it up worse and worse. And yeah, it is starting to feel like a brand new Windows installation from an ISO direct from Microsoft. It is starting to feel a lot like getting you know, a Dell Inspiron from the mid-2000s handed to you. I remember hearing complaints from some customers. It's like, we did a fresh install of like the business version of Windows 10 here. And when we open the start menu... There's an ad for Candy Crush. What the actual hell? <laughs> Again, this goes back to Windows 10, the Candy Crush stuff. And the worst part was you can remove the Candy Crush and then it just reinstalls itself behind your back. Now, it's not technically a reinstallation because what really happens is it installs itself the first time you click on the pre-populated shortcut that makes it look as though it's already installed. But regardless, the point is you can remove those links, but if you do... A couple of days later, they're right back again. Yeah, and even my Media Center machine, I've had the a new shortcut for Microsoft Edge get added to the desktop, and then I delete it, and some time later, it's back again. <laughs> it's like, no, I never want that. Get it off my desktop. Now, I will say, you know, taking up a devil's advocate role again, it's not like Microsoft exists in a vacuum in this. Everybody has been getting worse about this kind of onboarding crap lately. The first time you open a browser, any browser, welcome to your, you know, crap of like five or six different like animated screens with transitions trying to tell you how wonderful that browser is, which I do not need, do not want, and do not appreciate. Even Firefox does it. Now, to Firefox's credit, to the extent you can call this credit, at least when you get sick of Firefox's not onboarding nonsense after the first three screens, you can just click X on the whole damn browser and reopen it, and it won't start the process over again. It will just give you the browser that you wanted in the first place. But I noticed recently on recent builds of Microsoft Edge, they make the dialogue modal and full screen. You cannot change focus from it. There is no way to close it. You just have to wade through this endless series of like, what color background would you like in your browser? What wallpaper would you like on empty screens in your browser? Would you like your browser to do this? Would you like to do the other? We're great. Please don't install Chrome. That would suck for you. You know, just nonsense to the point that, you know, again, in my last supposedly clean Windows 11 installation, I got through three or four screens. And, you know, I do want to back off here and point out, like, this is not just an isolated gripe for me. Like, I install this stuff all the time. So like the first three or four screens of browser on onboarding, 
barely register to me because at this point I'm kind of expecting it, but it's gotten to the point that even with that level of acclimatization to the shitification of the browser onboarding experience, the browsers still all get to the point that I'm like, okay, enough of this. Like, I don't even want to just wait for the slide transition to click the next until it's done, make it stop. And in that Edge installation that I was talking about before, and I noticed they had made it go modal, full screen, no clothes, no anything. I ended up hitting control, alt, delete to bring up task manager to kill the damn thing and restart it. <laughs> Just, thanks. Well, I think even back to like Windows Server 2003, I remember using it in a VM and we'd reset the VM to a fresh install between every class. And I meant every time you open the browser, you had to click through a bunch of the things and be like, yes, I want to go to a website that's not from Microsoft. And I understand that this is the internet and bad things are going to happen to my computer. And like for these dialogues and allow, allow, before you can get to any website, every time it's like, has nobody at Microsoft had to use a fresh install in a VM that's going to roll back and be a fresh install every day? Probably not. I would imagine that most of the people at Microsoft are still just using Microsoft-provided images for internal use that are, you know, set up and ready to go, ready to work. I don't know how many people at all in Microsoft see what an install process actually looks like, judging from the state of those install procedures. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, it's one of those things like you can make a business perspective that it just doesn't make sense to waste much effort on install procedures because normal customers will either never see them in the case of operating system installations or, you know, only see them like once every several years on a browser. So in a sense, we're really whining saying, why can't the world be set up more for, you know, us, the professionals, rather than for those filthy end users. But Honestly, I, I, I can't imagine end users really want that or love that either. They may not have to deal with it as often as we do, but it's not pleasant for anybody. It's not useful for anybody. It's forced unskippable ads. You know, it's no different than firing up Paramount so that I can watch Star Trek Strange New Worlds and having it bombard me with unskippable trailers for uh, the, the animated one, Below Decks, that I've already watched all of, which it should know because I watched all of them on Paramount. But I still have to watch these unskippable trailers for the thing that I've already watched every last bit of, and there hasn't been anything new for months. It really does say a lot about the state of this advanced advertising technology. They keep saying, oh, these ads are like super targeted. It's like, you have all this information that maybe I'd prefer you didn't even have, but you have it all and you can't use it to your advantage or mine. Like, come on. Just advertise me a show. At this point, like if I, there's got to be an unskippable you know, trailer. Make it for anything on your network that I haven't watched yet. Like, even if it's not something I would like, just change it up and make it something that I haven't seen. Maybe that'll be interesting. But it does neither of us any good to make me watch trailers for something that I've seen every last episode of and there's nothing new for. And you know it. It's your stuff I watched on your service that you're hitting me with the add-on. You're watching Star Trek. You must want more Star Trek. It's like when Amazon nags you. It's like, you bought a bread maker. You must be starting a collection of bread makers. To be honest, the reason that particular one angered me so much and has stuck with me, and I'm ranting about it now, and we're supposed to be talking about Microsoft, is that when it the first time it hit me with that Below Decks trailer, when I was queuing up a Strange New Worlds episode, I got super excited because I thought that meant that the new season of Below Decks had started. And yes, I would have loved to have gone and watched that. 
nope, not even close. Just felt like hitting me with that unskippable promo for something that was, you know, a year old. We did get the crossover episode though, so, you know. But anyway, it's not just the installation though, is it? It's the first usage here. It's the experience that users get when they first turn a laptop on. If they don't have a professional like myself that they pay to deal with all this crap for them and just hand them a working device, yes, users absolutely see this. I had the misfortune of experiencing Windows 11 Home from scratch. And, oh man, everyone knows this, but you have to connect it to the internet. You have to create a Microsoft account. Obviously, you can get around this with Rufus and stuff if you know what you're doing, creating an ISO, but this was just a fresh install on a laptop. And it was just horrible. It just made me really, really, really appreciate Linux. And even macOS, which is, it's not ideal. There's a lot of bullshit you have to go through, but most of it you can just next, 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 or close, whereas there was just no getting away from this. I could not use the computer until I had gone through creating an account and then creating a backup email address and phone number and all this shit. And, oh, man. Windows Home has always been an example of market exploitation. It costs Microsoft more money to have to support a home version and a pro version. It is in no way a savings. It costs more. But they do it so they can nail people with less money to spend with a product with a bunch of crap ripped out. Again, we've talked about this in earlier episodes of the show. It's, it's, it's ripping the cushions out of the couch, you know? <laughs> there is no consumer-friendly reason to say, well, you got Windows Home, so you can't have local accounts, and you can't join a domain, and you can't run remote desktop services on your machine. You can use the RDP client, but you can't have anybody else RDP in. Oh, and also, you know, just for shits and giggles, you can't have MMC. Oh, you wanted like access to all the tools in MMC that might be really helpful for like de-malwaring your system, maybe? No, screw you, you got home. There's a reason I have never and will never buy the home version of a Windows operating system. So they're really pushing it when they start including like trial offers and oh, here, have a hundred gigabyte of OneDrive and oh, here, for $1, you can have a PC Game Pass and just pushing all this crap on He's like, you're supposed to be my operating system, not just a, a method to shove ads in my face. It gets even worse if you actually open up the Microsoft Store. Holy crap, like the editor recommended, you know, games and stuff littering that thing. And it's just the absolute worst shitware that you would get angry about discovering on an Android phone ever. And it's not just on the store, like it's recommended stuff. I actually went off on a big rant about that in, you know, a Windows 11 preview when I was working for ours because I went into the Microsoft store because Microsoft had been talking about how improved it was. So despite having long since decided that was a hive of scum and villainy I wanted no part of since I was reviewing it for Ars Technica, I went into the store. And, you know, I promptly found all these horrible recommended games with like daily energy that, you know, you can pay money to get more energy to be able to play the stupid game. Or just again, if you've played mobile games, any mobile games, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Think of the absolute worst of them that you uninstalled in a heartbeat once you saw what it was really like. Yeah, that comes to you recommended on the Windows Store. Well, it gets even worse than this. We were going to talk about this anyway, and then I saw today a piece on The Verge by Tom Warren. Microsoft is using malware-like pop-ups to get people to ditch Google. 
Yeah, uh, Tom over there at The Verge has absolutely had enough of Microsoft shit, and I'm here for it. <laughs> he ripped him a new one, and it's well-deserved, and you love to see it. So what's happening is, you know, Microsoft keeps hijacking searches for Chrome that are made on Bing. Because remember, again, you know, you got a brand new Windows computer. The only browser on it is Edge. Edge's default search engine is Bing. So it's a pretty natural and normal workflow here to get your brand new Windows installation and open up Edge and just write in the address bar, you know, type in Chrome or Chrome download or Chrome MSI or whatever and hit enter. And you expect to get, you know, a return that's a download page for Chrome. And instead, Microsoft's like, no, 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 no. They've done several different things. Sometimes you, you'll get like a full page Bing result that appears to be like AI talking to you about how great Edge is, but it's not actually AI. It's a canned thing. It just looks like some chat GPT thing. And then the, the thing at the top that Tom was complaining about, there's an executable that actually gets dropped into a temp directory in Windows that makes a pop-up not in the browser, not in the notification center, just a pop-up dialogue like on your desktop spawned by this single executable that got dumped into Windows, exhorting you to, you know, see how awesome Bing and Edge are. And uh, people kept thinking it was malware because, I mean, that's a straight up malware technique. Let me drop a random executable in an obscure temp directory somewhere under your C colon windows and uh, go from there. And make something that looks like a notification, but isn't via the notification center and so on. And it's exhorting you to uh, earn Microsoft reward points every time you search. Uh, I can't wait. I absolutely cannot wait for Microsoft coin. <laughs> you know it's coming. Bing coin. Yeah. Bing coin. Reminds me of even back in the Windows XP days. Our little joke was, Internet Explorer is the best browser for downloading a better browser. Yeah. So here, here's another thing that, that really pissed me off in Tom's report. And uh, clearly he was not that happy about it either, but I feel like he, he could have specifically explored this one a little further. When he reached out to Microsoft, he got a response from Caitlin Rulston, Director of Communications, we are aware of these reports. And again, this is about the, the rogue executable that shows up under your Windows directory. Microsoft Director of Communications responds, we are aware of these reports and have paused this notification while we investigate and take appropriate action to address this unintended behavior. What the hell do you mean unintended? Y'all put it there. It's doing what you wrote it to do. There's, there's no, oh, oh, we didn't realize that we accidentally dropped an executable in your Windows directory? What? Yeah, it makes the note. You know, Windows isn't freeware. It requires a license that almost every consumer ultimately pays for. That would be in the form of the price of the laptop if it's a Windows OEM or a product key if you bought and built your own PC. You know, Microsoft should respect the fact that people already pay for Windows and don't want ads shoved down their throats. Windows is an important productivity tool for many people and shouldn't be treated like a cheap streaming box loaded with ads. There's a reason why other operating systems have switched to being free so that they can just constantly force you to get new versions. Is this in part because they spent so much money on the uh, OpenAI stuff? Absolutely not. This is not anything to do with some hardship that Microsoft is facing. This is literally just the continued process of shitification. We live in an era of robber barons. Now, our robber barons are usually in the form of C-corps instead of, you know, like individual people with a name. Or at least they hide behind the C-Corp. But this is just like the 
robber baron area of, you know, the Industrial Revolution, any number of periods through history. We are in a period of shitification and everywhere is doing it. It is endemic to our corporate culture that you extract more money whenever you can. And the only reason something might be beyond the pale is if it actually incurs a hard consequence. I don't mean just a consequence like people say they're upset about it. I mean a real consequence, not a fine of $100,000 to a billion dollar company, like a fine that actually hurts or an executive doing jail time or an antitrust suit that really goes somewhere. Those are the only things anybody cares about anymore. Anything short of that, whatever. And on that note, it's probably worth pointing out that if all this stuff sounds unfamiliar to you, if you're like, well, I haven't seen like a full page fake, you know, AI chat GPT thing, and I've searched for Chrome on Bing. Well, you should be aware that Microsoft rolls these things out in small batches to find out just how angry people will get about it. And you could in one sense say, oh, well, that's responsible. So, you know, they're trying it out in, you know, small batches to find out when they made a mistake rather than making everybody experience that mistake. But you could also say that it's just more in shitification. It means that you don't know what you're going to get. It means that your neighbor might have a wonderful experience and you might have an absolute terrible one because your name came up in the hat for the next way Microsoft is wondering, will people tolerate this particular way of screwing them over? Well, in particular, the fact that their goal is to search for and find exactly how close to the red line they can get of what people will not tolerate. They get, you know, how we can push it as close as possible to that and how we can keep inching up to it rather than just seeing, you know, is this change good for people? It's can we slowly chip away at the, the quality until it's just all this shit? It's even worse than that, Alan. They don't have to chip away slowly because since they can trial it in small batches, it's totally okay if they go over the red line Mm -hmm. and lose some people because it was only just those few people and most of the rest of the people who haven't encountered it will just be like, huh, that doesn't make any sense. I haven't seen that and move on. So instead of having to very slowly chip away because if you go too far, you might hurt yourself. Well, a customer here or there isn't going to make that big of a difference. Let's see what we can get away with. Well, what I meant was they spent all this money on the OpenAI stuff and they've integrated it into Bing. And now you've probably got management pressurizing middle management to get people to actually use Bing with the AI bullshit in it. And they're just trying everything they possibly can to get people onto that. It's not some sinister agenda. It's more just a case of people aren't that interested in the AI bullshit. Let's try and get our numbers up on that. It is a sinister agenda, but it's a universally sinister agenda that our entire society is experiencing. Like I said, it's not limited to Microsoft. It's not limited to Microsoft and Google. It's not limited to, you know, ad company name here. Like I said, even when you drill all the way down to freaking Mozilla, a nonprofit, you get a taste of it. Now, it's obviously nowhere near as bad installing Firefox as dealing with what we're talking about with, you know, being an edge. But the degree of increase in shittiness is pretty similar between Firefox over the last several years and Microsoft over the last several years. It's just a trend in society. I don't know that just is the right word. It is an overall trend in society, and it absolutely sucks. But um, that's as close as I can get to your there's no sinister agenda thing. Like, it's more of a 
well, Microsoft is just part of our entirely shitty society. Hang on, did you just compare what Microsoft is doing here with what Mozilla have done? Yes, I did. There are different places in the spectrum. We're not, he's not saying they're equivalent. He's just comparing them. As part of a pattern, maybe, but... Let me ask you a hypothetical, Joe. Do you enjoy going through five or six steps of Firefox's, oh, hey, it looks like you haven't used in the browser a while every few months. Is that useful for you? No. Is it useful for your wife? No. Do you know anyone it's useful for? No. What purpose does it serve? It doesn't. Someone thought it was a good idea. It tries to get you hyped up about Firefox and Firefox's features and using all the things that are Firefox and how wonderful Firefox is. Now, granted, there's not a monetary motive there because it is free, but it's the same trend towards going, we don't care if this inconveniences everybody and nobody likes it. We have a thing that we want to do here and we get to make you sit through it. No, you see, I don't agree. I don't think that that's the motivation. I think the motivation is that they genuinely think that it's a good feature. Okay, why are they dumber than you are? You realize that it's not a good feature and that literally nobody you know finds it useful. Why do you think that everybody at Mozilla is more out of touch than you are? Because they're in a bubble. They don't know people? They don't have wives? They don't have kids? They don't have friends? People are too polite to tell them it's dumb. I'm more with Jim on this one. It's by getting people to use Firefox... That's how they sell their pocket thing and their VPN thing and, and support Firefox. Like, I understand why, and I'm to some degree okay with it. But it is for the same motivations that Microsoft does it. Firefox has more restraint because they know there'll be more backlash because of their target audience and because they're trying to be the better people. But their motivation is still the same as Microsoft's to get more eyeballs and more money. And I do not buy for one second that they have no idea that people don't want it, don't appreciate it, and prefer not to have it. Not buying it. I just have this idea of Mozilla developers just kind of living on the West Coast, in their cafes. They mostly live in Europe. I guess so, but the management or whatever, like it's that sort of, you know, that San Francisco culture, the Silicon Valley culture, and they're just like so used to huffing their own shit. You mean that Silicon Valley tech bro culture of like, we get to do whatever we want to do and we get to shape the world? That one? No, more than like, I like to huff my own shit type of uh, culture of like, yeah, Firefox is awesome and everything we do is awesome. And like, oh, just anyone who's criticizing us is just a troll and like, you know, they're just haters or whatever. I, I think it's more that kind of mentality rather than some sinister fucking plan. Sinister isn't a great adjective for it, but we're still talking about deliberately putting in a feature that inconveniences the crap out of people to no good use because it serves your own purpose. In no world are folks at Mozilla saying, you know what people will really love about our browser? Walking through all this crap every time they open it, every time it's installed, or every few months when it says, you know, oh, hey, there you are. I disagree. I think that somebody somewhere at Mozilla thinks that people want that. I think they're just misguided. I think the very old version of that feature was called Firefox Refresh, and it just like disabled all your extensions and stuff to try to make Firefox faster again. And it was just a little bar across the top that you could please, like, do you want to basically start with a fresh profile instead of your old one? Yep. And it was optional. <laughs> you got to choose. Yeah, and then someone gets assigned to that feature, and it just gets feature creep and gets more and more in your face. But the feature creep was specifically for... 
Find out why they weren't using Firefox. Remind them to keep using Firefox. Sell them a subscription to Pocket. Yeah, Mozilla VPN, full screen ads. I've never seen the full screen ad for the VPN in my version. Well, it's like not full screen, but like new tab. You update it and you, instead of your homepage, I have it set to Google, whatever. It, you've got Google on one tab and then this other tab. Like, what's this? Oh, it's an advert for their VPN service. Ah, uh, yes. I closed those without ever even looking at them. <laughs> Yeah, that, the the extra tab you always get. <laughs> Again, pretty much any browser, like, you keep using the word sinister, and, like, you put a real point and an edge behind that. And I would not call Mozilla a sinister organization by any means. So, like, I'm acknowledging that point you're putting behind that, and I'm kind of brushing it off and saying, no, nah, man, not like that. But again, we're just we're we're talking about a culture of what we can get away with, like what is acceptable, not what is right, not what is good, not what is the best thing for our users, what's acceptable. And it's acceptable to force your users through six or seven screens of crap every few months. Everybody has gotten used to it. So why not? I don't want to believe that Mozilla is like that, man. I just I don't want to believe that. Well, to some degree, they have to make money to keep Firefox going. And there's some degree of that I'm willing to put up with in order because I use Firefox and want it to keep going. You want to believe that they're so abjectly stupid that they can't figure that out for themselves and have never talked to another human being. Yeah, that would be preferable. Because name the human that if you ask them, do you like this? Will say anything but ugh, ugh, no. I want to believe that people working for Mozilla have good intentions and are just doing it wrong. Are are magically some different class of people than software developers that work on a random Linux distro or any other project? Dear listeners, if any of you enjoy browser onboarding processes, please email in to let us know. If you don't enjoy it, you can write in if you want, but you don't need to. We, we get it. You don't. None of you do. <laughs> we don't need that much email. <laughs> no, we don't need that much email. But yeah, if, if somebody out there is like, yeah, like I look forward to that browser onboarding process. You know, maybe it'll show me a feature I didn't know about. Like, yeah, I pay attention through all that. I'm like, okay, let me get through this. I might get something good out of it. <laughs> write in and let us know. I, I, would, I would genuinely like to hear about that. Okay, this episode is sponsored by people who support us with PayPal and Patreon. Go to 2.5admins.com slash support for details of how you can support us too. Two and a half admins is part of the late night Linux family, which means that for $10 a month on Patreon, you get access to an RSS feed that contains all the late night Linux family shows without adverts like this. There's also an option to get just this show ad free for $5 a month if you prefer. Some of the episodes are even released a day or so early for Patreon supporters. The ad market isn't great at the moment. And frankly, it's hard to find sponsors that don't want to do tracking bullshit. But so far, we've managed to resist that. So if you like what we do and can afford it, it would be great if you could support us at 2.5admins.com slash support. Let's do some free consulting then. But first, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to 2.5admins.com slash support. And if you want to send any questions for Jim and Alan or your feedback, you can email show at 2.5admins.com. Jeremy says, I want to build a NAS and only have it powered on when I need to use it. It's a home setup, so I can go and switch it on. Do hard drives or other components with no power degrade faster compared to having them switch on? Short answer is yes. 
depending on the particular component you're concerned about, usually it's not so much a case of degrading because the power is off. It's a case of the hardest time on every electrical component in a system is the power on moment. When you power on your system, you have to deal with startup current going to anything with motors or coils, which can be your power supply itself, mechanical hard drives, anything like that. One startup cycle is worth probably 100 hours of steady state operation, maybe more in terms of wear and tear. But that's not even the only concern. You're talking about a NAS. Now, if you're talking about a NAS, usually you do mean mechanical hard drives. And mechanical hard drives are completely fine being left powered off for you know very long intervals of time. SSDs, on the other hand, if you've got any of those in there, well, the charge in the individual cells in NAND flash does degrade over time. Now, the firmware in your SSD, when your SSD is powered on, knows how long it's been since the charge level in that cell has been refreshed, and it will either refresh it or copy the data out to a different cell in time to prevent it from degrading into unusability. But if you had that thing powered off for a long time, well, the firmware's not powered on, it can't do its management, so you can lose data that way. In some cases, you may begin losing data on a completely cold SSD in just the space of a few months. Yeah, there's a reason why in the smart data on your hard drive, it will tell you the number of times it's been powered on, because that is one of the biggest factors for the health of the hard drive, is the more times it's been turned on, the closer it is to death. Yeah, the energy required to get that motor spinning in the first place is way more than just keeping it spinning once it's got that inertia. Yeah, now to be fair, we're not we're not talking about this in terms of power consumption. Well, no, but just the, the stress that comes with the, the big jolt of energy that, that gets it moving. Yes, absolutely. That startup current is immense compared to steady state operating current, and it, it has a real toll on all the coils and everything that needs coils in that device. Again, that includes your power supply, that includes any mechanical hard drives, any, you know, mechanical optical drives. Cooling fans. Yep. Every last bit of it. You may also have noticed that uh, you'll have a machine that is on 24-7 and the fans don't make any noise whatsoever. And then, you know, the power goes off or you need to shut it down for some reason and leave it off for a couple hours and you start it back up. And now you have that obnoxious fan rattle that you can't get rid of. There are a lot of ways that different components of your system have a lot more difficulty in being powered off and back on again than they do in just staying steady state operational. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. Remember, show at 2.5admins.com if you want to send any questions or your feedback. You can find me at jrs.com slash mastodon. You can find me at jrs-s.net slash social. And I'm at Alan Jude. We'll see you next week.